0: This summer, we have been in a series called Citizens. What does it mean to be citizens living in the kingdom of God? And in the first four weeks of that series, we talked about our relationship to other people. If we are citizens of God's kingdom, living among a lot of people who aren't, how do we interact with them? And it wasn't easy stuff. The Bible is pretty strict about it, actually. And if you missed any of those messages, you can find them on our website or on our YouTube channel. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be focusing on us. And we're going to have a lot of note stuff today. So if you're taking notes, get ready. We've got a lot to have you write down. There's an outline on the Indian Hills app where you can fill in blanks as you go. Today, we're going to talk about one of the biggest issues we have living in a kingdom, being a part Of a kingdom. And here it is. As Christians, we are dual citizens. We are citizens in the kingdom of God. That happened at our baptism into Christ. We became full fledged citizens in God's kingdom. And that comes with benefits. Forgiveness of sins is a big one, but that's just one of them. A life of real purpose and meaning. You can, as a follower of Jesus, know for sure that your life has meaning and purpose. You will never have to wonder if you are doing life correctly. And also, an eternal existence in a redeemed world. And that's the, that's the best one. You will get to live forever in a world like this one. Listen to me. You're going to get to live forever. In a world like this one, except everything's fixed, creation restored, a society where we have real godly leadership for the first time, the benefits of this citizenship are fantastic, but we are dual citizens. We're citizens of the kingdom of God, but we are also citizens of a country, the United States. And I'll just tell you, if you were born in the United States, if you were a citizen of the United States, you hit the jackpot. This is, to me at least, the greatest country in the world. And there are great benefits to living in this country. And two big ones. There's a lot, but there's two big ones. One, number one is peace. We live in the only country in the world that has gone the last 160 years without any fighting Happen in where we live. But it's not just that kind of peace. It's the peace that comes from living in a place with infrastructure that takes care of our needs. You can build a life of peace. You can, can make money here. You can, you can do all kinds of things to give yourself peace in this United States in a way that you can't do anywhere else. And prosperity is the other one. We can we have so much wealth here. We have so much opportunity here. If if you make if you're a family of 5 that makes $30,000 a year, you are in the top 3% of the world's wealth. Think about that. We don't realize how much opportunity we have for prosperity here in the United States. We're blessed. We're so blessed to live here. This is the greatest country on earth, and I don't think it's close. We are very privileged to get to be here, no doubt about it. But it's tricky being dual citizens. Being full fledged citizens of both God's kingdom and the United States can be a little bit tricky. I want you to turn your Bibles to Judges 14 that's where we're going to be spending most of our time this morning. In Judges 14, the Israelites are being oppressed by the Philistines who live right next to them. And something happens in Judges 14. Something happens in this story that kind of shows us the danger of living in two kingdoms. And we do. There's nothing we can do about that. As Christians, we're in God's kingdom. We're in this kingdom in the United States. Judges 14 can show us why this is dangerous. And that's where we're going to be at. The Israelites are being oppressed by the Philistines. The Philistines are right next door. The Israelites have no leader. So the Philistines just take over. The Philistines are monsters. They worship false gods, they try to force their way of life on Israel. They take the Philistines, take the best of Israel's children as slaves to work in the Philistine fields. Half of all the money the Israelites make has to go straight to the Philistine bullies right across the border. And God says, That's enough. This oppression of my people has to stop. So God saw the terror the Philistines were causing the Israelites, and He sent a deliverer to fix it. He sent a man named Samson. God sends Samson to clean up the mess the Israelites are in. And in chapter 14, the fixing starts. And I want you to follow along. There's a lot that happens today, but I want you to see this story. God sends Samson to clean up this mess. The cleanup begins with three battles. All of it starts with a line. So I want you to follow along. One day, Samson was out walking. He was, attempted, he was attacked by a lion. Verse 6 says, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the line apart with his bare hands. And then here's the example that they use. As he might have torn a young goat, which has always been a weird example to me. I don't know why you would tear apart a young goat. That's just odd to me. Anyway, a few days later, A few days later, he goes back through, and he comes across the body of the lion he killed. It's still there, and he notices something interesting. He turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. Okay, so far, everything's pretty normal, except for the goat-tearing thing. Besides that, everything is normal. But now, for the first time, Samson is going to run into some Philistines. God has sent Samson to deal with it. Now he's going to run into some Philistines. Now it's about to start. And it happened like this. Samson hosts a feast. 30 Philistine young men attend. And Samson makes a bet with them. He says, I'm going to tell you Philistines a riddle. And I'm going to give you a week to figure it out. If you figure out my riddle in one week... I will give you each a set of clothes, which would have been a very expensive gift during this time period. And they agree. So he tells them the riddle. He says, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Now, we know, of course, that he's talking about that lion he killed that ended up with honey inside of it. We have the Bible. Well, they don't know about the lion. Samson never told anybody anybody about it. They're they're not going to get this riddle. Do y'all ever have any friends like that, that they kinda, they'll kind tell an inside joke, something you don't know anything about, but you, know, you weren't there when the thing that they're referencing happened, so it doesn't make sense to you? Same thing here. This is a dumb riddle, because there's not a chance they're gonna figure it out. But they try. For three days, it says they keep making guesses, and Samson keeps telling them no. But the Philistines want those sets of clothes, so they come up with a plan. Verse 15, on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. I told you before, these are not great people, the Philistines. Well, Samson's wife goes to Samson, and she asks him, hey, honey, explain that riddle to me, and he refuses, and the Bible says she cried and begged him the whole rest of the week, and he finally wore her down. He told her right before the deadline, and there she goes and She goes and tells the Philistines. So at the end of the week, the Philistines come to find Samson. And Samson says, well, it's been a week. What's your answer? Have you figured out my riddle? Verse 18, before sunset on the seventh day, basically with seconds left on the clock, right before the deadline, the men of the town said to him, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a line? Now, if you know the Samson story, tell me if this sounds familiar. Samson has a secret. The Philistines want to know it. His significant other wears him down until he tells it to her, and she tells the Philistines. Does that sound familiar? The same thing happens later with Delilah. Women are a weakness for him. And Samson is mad that they find out the riddle. And Samson has a great response to these 30 Philistines. Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Samson immediately knows it was his wife that ratted him out. Now, I'm not sure what it was like for him at home when his wife found out that he called her a heifer. (laughs) Probably not good, but Samson is a man of his word. He's going to give them their clothes. They won the clothes fair and square. Verse 19, then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Remember, God assigned him with this power. God has given him this power to save the Israelites from the Philistines. He was sent to be their savior. Then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, a Philistine city, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who explained the riddle. You want clothes? Here they are. I took them off the backs of your Philistine friends. And that's round one. If you're following along on the outline, the result of round one in the war between Samson and the evil Philistines is Samson killed 30 Philistines in Ashkelon. Samson killed 30 Philistines in Ashkelon. That's battle one. Look at what happens next. Samson was furious with his wife for ratting him out. Look at what his father-in-law does. Verse 20. Samson's wife was given to one of Samson's companions who had attended the feast of Philistine. Samson's father-in-law knows Samson is mad at his daughter. And he thinks, well, Samson's never going to talk to my daughter again. He may even kill her. So he gives her away to a Philistine, which makes the beginning of chapter 15 pretty awkward. Verse 1, later on at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat, which immediately makes me nervous whenever he's around a young goat, right? (laughs) He took a young goat and went to visit his wife, now, Samson has a temper, but he doesn't stay mad long. He's ready to make up with his wife, but she's already married to some Philistine. Verse 2, her dad tries to explain, I was, sh- I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive anyway? Take her instead. Well, this just makes Samson more furious. The Philistines have already ticked him off and now his wife is married to one. This isn't going to fly. Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he we went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. I would love a time machine because I would love to know how he caught 300 foxes. I feel like I've seen four in my life, right? <laughs> They're like ghosts. You never see them. And Not only did he catch 300, he managed to tie them all in pairs by the tail. This must have taken a while. So where did he keep all these foxes while he's working on this? I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) he then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. So here's the result of battle number two with the Philistines. And I'm just going to tell you, Samson is not going to lose any of these. He's got God's power with him. This is God's plan for the destruction of the Philistines. He was literally sent to do this. And here's the second result. Samson destroyed the food supply of the Philistines. Samson destroyed the food supply of the Philistines. That's round two. And this tit for tat between the Philistines and Samson continues. Verse six, when the Philistines asked, who did this to our crops? Who burned up all our food? They were told Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. They just keep going back and forth. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. And this goes back and forth, back and forth. But notice, I want you to notice philistines keep dying but not a single israelite has been hurt god has found a way to start wiping out all these philistines without losing a single israelite samson is doing all the fighting and now we get to battle number three verse eight he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them and that's the result of battle number three samson killed the philistines who killed his wife He killed the Philistines who killed his wife. He's three for three. And after battle number three, he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Edom. He had spent all this time fighting the Philistines. Now he goes back to Israel to rest. And it's now time for a hero's welcome. Samson has done it. He has gone up and cleaned up the Philistine problem. God sent Samson to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. Samson came and he did it. Verse 11. 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the Rock of Edom. 3,000 Israelites go to welcome Samson back home. 3,000 people is a lot of people. You know what's a perfect amount of people for? A parade. Because with 3,000 people, you can line the streets for miles with people, and Samson can march down the road, and all the Israelites can all wave and cheer for Samson. He's delivering us. We're finally getting these Philistines off our back. Praise God. Or maybe 3,000 people. You know what? Maybe they're all coming to the cave for a worship service. They're all so happy that God has sent Samson into their lives that they're going to have a church service right there at the cave telling God how grateful they are for Samson. They should do that. God sent them a deliverer. They should be happy. But as it turns out, happiness and gratitude... Are not the reason 3,000 Israelites have come down to visit Samson at the cave of Edom. 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? Why are the Israelites unhappy with Samson? The Israelites are in bondage to the Philistines. Shouldn't they be happy that God has finally sent salvation? Well, you have to understand their situation. The Philistines are very nasty people. It's hard to get along with them, but the Israelites tried. In Judges 10, we see the Israelites negotiating peace agreements with the Philistines, even agreeing to start putting Philistine idols in every Israelite house so that the Philistines would see, hey, we're cooperating with them. And now here comes Samson messing all that up. Samson, we spent all this time trying to make it work with the Philistines, and you're ruining it. And Samson, that stunt you pulled with the foxes and the fire and the grain, they don't have food now. Where do you think they're going to get their food now? How do you think they're going to replace that food? They're going to come to Israel and get it from us. But it wasn't just that. In Judges 3, some of the Israelites had started to marry some of the Philistines. Basically, the Israelites had decided to make the best of a bad situation. If you can't beat them, join them. They started selling the Philistines some of their land. They started selling some of their goods. And in return, we see in Judges 6 that the Philistines started selling the Israelites some of their idols to keep in their house. Now the Israelites weren't going to worship these these idols. They wouldn't worship the idols, but it's nice to have them in the house because if a Philistine comes over, right? I'm trying to do business with these guys. They need to see we're good friends. Samson, you you have to cut out this killing the Philistine stuff, man. Some of our grandkids are half Philistine, and like half our economy is based on the Philistine market, and you're going to ruin all this for us, Samson. Verse 11, look at what they say to Samson in verse 11. Samson, what have you done to us? Us. Israel now identifies with their slave masters. They see Samson as their enemy. They have now resigned themselves to bondage. It's not that they don't want deliverance, they can't have deliverance. Their lives are too tangled up with the enemy. Del Ralph Davis is a retired preacher from Mississippi and he's wrote several commentaries on the Old Testament and I love the way he puts it. When it comes to the situation the Israelites were in, he describes the situation perfectly. He says, deliverance is always a threat to peace. Deliverance is always a threat to peace. The Israelites couldn't afford to be rescued. It would mess up their comfortable lives. They would have to leave their Philistine spouses. They'd have to give back the Philistine money. They couldn't be delivered. It would mess everything up. And this is the problem with dual citizenship. Both of our citizenships require things of us that conflict with each other. Your kingdom is asking things of you, and your country is asking things of you that contradict each other. And you cannot satisfy both. God offers us a life where we can be guided by the Holy Spirit and we can have fulfillment and live with purpose and be a part of what God is doing, but we can't because our lives are too tangled up with that other society. Satan is a genius. He gets us so tangled up in the good parts of our other citizenship that we can't follow God. I know I need to be in church, but the kids have baseball and that takes a lot of time. I know I'm supposed to tithe, but my money is pretty tied up right now. I've got a lot of bills. I've got all this debt I need to pay off, so I've got to focus on that right now. I know I'm supposed to be spending time with my kids and the Bible every day, and I want to, but these teachers, they send these kids home with so much homework, we barely have time to eat at night. And if I mess with any of those things, I'm messing with my peace. I'm messing with my prosperity. Peace and prosperity is how Satan keeps you from God. Listen, this country has a lot of problems. That's true. Abortion, media that's full of smut, politicians that only care about themselves. But those aren't the things keeping Americans away from Jesus. What's keeping America away from Jesus is peace and prosperity. Peace and prosperity is how Satan keeps you from God. He keeps you working so hard to protect your peace. He keeps you working so hard to protect your prosperity that before you know it, you can't serve God. You don't have the time, you don't have the resources. Paul said it like this in Romans 8, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. It's not that we don't want to follow God. It's not that we don't want to please God. It's that we can't. Because we're so tied up everywhere else. Sports aren't evil. Money isn't evil. Television isn't evil. Vacations aren't evil. I think all those things are gifts from God. But Satan convinces you to turn those things into your master. You become a slave to your mortgage. You become a slave to your job. You become a slave to your schedule. And you get to the point where you can't do anything else. I wish we could have all of this. I wish that I could enjoy all the benefits of both kingdoms, but I can't. I can't because I can't serve two masters. Do you know what happens when you try to serve both masters? Do you know what happens when you try to have both? Look at the end of this story, verse 12. The Israelites said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. This is the 3,000 people who should have been so happy what God had done for them. Instead, they're mad. They say, "We're, we're coming to tie you up. We're going to hand you over to the Philistines. And Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. Come on, Samson, we're not bad guys. We wouldn't hurt you. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them so that they can kill you. So they bound him up with two new ropes and led him from the rock As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. And here we go. This is battle number four between the Philistines and Samson. If you grew up in Sunday school, you've probably heard this story before. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax. The bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. What's the result of battle number four? Samson struck down a thousand men. Now hang on a second. What's different? It's a little different this time, isn't it? What's missing? Let's real quick look at our outline again. Let's go back over these battles. Battle one, Samson killed 30 Philistines. Battle two, Samson destroyed the food supply of the Philistines. Battle three, Samson killed the Philistines who killed his wife. But what did verse 15 say? Samson struck down a thousand Men. For the first time since Samson started his mission, the Bible doesn't say it was Philistines he killed. For the first time since Samson started his mission, the Bible doesn't say it was Philistines he killed. Samson is completely surrounded by 3,000 Israelites leading him by ropes. A battalion of Philistines ambush him, and Samson just starts swinging a jawbone. He didn't kill 1,000 Philistines. He killed 1,000 men. Some of them were Philistines. Some of them were Israelites in a place they should never have been. Some of them were Israelites who were working to preserve their own peace and prosperity. And when you work to preserve your peace and prosperity, you are working against God's will for your life. You cannot seek both. You cannot go after both. If you go after both, you will end up with nothing. That is the path to destruction. You cannot seek both, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, will be given to you as well. God knows you have needs. He's willing to meet your needs. But Christians aren't supposed to try and get them ourselves. We wait for our Father to give them to us because we trust that he is good and knows our needs better than we do. I don't know how you catch 300 foxes, but I do know how you catch a raccoon. I learned it when I was a kid from my Uncle Gene. I saw him do it. You cut a piece of wood you roll up a ball of tinfoil and drop it inside a hole inside the wood that you cut out, and you put some nails through it. And what happens is the raccoon comes by, and he sees the shiny object in the hole, and he reaches its paw down into the hole to grab it. And when he does, it can't get its paw back out. And as long as it's holding on to the aluminum foil, his hand is too big to come back out. And so it just sits there until the hunter comes and finds it. Now, All the raccoon has to do is just let go of the aluminum foil. If it just lets go, he can slide his paw right back out. But this trap always works because raccoons will not let go of that aluminum foil. They have to have it. Raccoons absolutely will not let go of the aluminum foil once they find it, even once a hunter walks right up to them with a gun. And there are going to be a lot of people in hell Not because they didn't know what the right thing was. There are going to be a lot of people in hell. Not because they didn't want to please God. They did want to. But there are going to be a lot of people in hell anyway. Because they absolutely refused to let go of the things of this world. They can't please God. Because they have gotten themselves too tangled up in what the world has to offer. And it's not just heaven they're going to miss out on. God wants to deliver you now. God wants to give you all these benefits now, but God can't give you the full benefits of citizenship until you let go of what's in your hand. God will not give you the full benefits of citizenship until you let go of what's in your hand. Listen to me. God is offering you something so much better than entertainment. God is offering you something so much better, something so much more fulfilling than a job. God is offering your family something that will last so much longer than whatever it is you have on your calendar that keeps you from getting to church or keeps you from serving or keeps you from reaching out to your neighbor who doesn't know Christ. Don't push away deliverance because you're holding on to something temporary. Father, we thank you that as we come into this time of communion, that we can sit here today and learn from your, your word, and we can sit and not have to worry about police coming in to arrest us. Father, we're so thankful that we live in a country where we have the freedom to come here and do this. A lot of people around the world don't. So we're thankful for that. But Father, we're also mindful of the fact that in China and North Korea, where it's illegal to be a Christian and they will arrest you and they will put you in jail and they will beat you and they will put you in work camps, we're mindful of the fact that that's where Christianity is booming right now and not here. Father, we, we say to you today that we realize that our love for peace in our lives and our love for prosperity for our family has gotten in the way of us having a master. It has gotten in the way of us having a Lord. So Father, what we say today is, you gave up everything when you sent your son to die for us. And Father, today we sit here and we say, Father, okay, we're ready. We're ready to give up what we have been holding on to, to take hold of what you've promised us. Father, we thank you for that deliverance. You sent Samson into Israel to deliver Israel from the Philistines. You sent Jesus into our world to deliver us from ourselves. And Father, I need that deliverance. I pray for it. Father, I spend all this time reading the Bible and praying that you'll lead me and praying that you'll provide for me and praying that you'll you'll transform me but you cannot do it because if I'm still holding on to everything else this world has to offer. Father, give me the courage to let go. Give me the courage to give up on my own desires and my own plans because I honestly trust that you have something better. We pray all these things in the name of the one who came to save us, Jesus Christ, amen.